Again, the prophet Micah speaking to us at this time, chapter 6. Make your way to Micah chapter 6. I'm going to start reading of verse 3 and read through verse 8. Micah 6, verse 3 through 8. As you're turning there, I'm going to thank God for the word. And then we're going to jump in. The title of this message today is What's Good? Father, we thank you today that we could be out. You've given us another beautiful Sunday as you shine down on us, Lord. Father, I pray that as the word goes forth this morning, Lord, that you would touch us, that you would stretch us, that you would comfort us, you'd give us peace. Father, though there are storms around us, Lord, we know that you are the rock of our salvation and that your word is a foundation we can stand on and it will sustain us. It will not shake, crumble beneath us. And so, Father, we thank you for the word. Holy Spirit, open the word up to us today. Let it touch us that we would be changed, not by religion, not by the message of a man, but by your holy word. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Micah, Old Testament prophet, speaking to the people, the nation of Israel, speaking to the Jewish people, he says this to them. Uh, last week we were in chapter 7, the Holy Spirit let me take a step back into chapter 6, and starting in verse 3, the Lord appeals to his people and he says this, and I want you to listen to the Father's heart as he speaks to his people, the apple of his eye, the ones that he loves. He says, my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Answer me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I set before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people, remember how Balak, king of Moab, counseled what Balaam, son of Baor, answered him from Shedem to Gal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord? What does God require of man? What shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings? With yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn from my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Listen to verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Listen to verse 8 again. He has told you, O man, good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God has made it clear for us. He's made it easy for us to understand. He tells us in his word plainly what is good. Now, in the Old Testament types and shadows, as he spoke to his people, the prophet speaks words that leap into the present and still speak to us as the people of God. For we are the sheep of his fold, and we are his people. 
when it comes to man's interaction with God, often the focus is what man requires of God. We live in a generation that puts many demands on God. And if the God of Scripture doesn't meet the demands of man, man doesn't want to have anything to do with him. I've noticed that men have very little trouble listing all the things that they expect and desire from God. People's hearts towards God is this. Give me forgiveness for my sins. Give me peace. Give me prosperity. I want liberty. I want health for my body. I want wealth and a life of ease. I want to be blessed. And as much as God wants to give us all of those things, to come to him and demand that of him is a very, very dangerous thing to do. As followers of Jesus Christ and as children of God, what's much more important for us is to lay down our expectations and our demands and approach God, finding out what he requires of us. You see, he's God. And we're not. He's the potter. And we're the clay. And so our generation has demanded we want this from God. We want this. And if we don't get this, then we won't serve God. But as the people of God, we need to know what God requires of us. In Matthew 6, 32 through 33, Jesus shows the proper order of things. It's God first. It's the kingdom first. And everything else is second. For the Gentiles, he says in chapter 6 of Matthew, they eagerly seek all these things. What things? The things I listed. Peace and prosperity, pleasure, liberty, health, wealth, and a blessed life. He says the Gentiles, they seek such things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does God require of us as his children? It's important for us to know. It's important for us to care. In verse 3 of Micah here, we see God appealing to his people. And I want you to see the Father's heart. God appeals to his people, the nation of Israel, and he calls them out for their coldness towards him. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that the people of God would come to a place where they were estranged from the God that loved them. Look what he says here in verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? Listen to the Father's heart. He loves them, wants to have relationship with them, yet they've grown cold towards him. He says, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? And then he says, answer me. Do you see the heart of a father there? Not in judgment, not to create division, uh, unity and a harmony and a he says, how have I wearied you? What have I done to you? Throughout the Old Testament, God's people would get tired of him, and they would grow cold towards him, and then they would wander away from him. Unfortunately, in the New Testament, even after the amazing work of the cross, we see the hearts of men do the same towards Father God. They grow weary, they get distracted, and they walk away. We are constantly warned in the New Testament not to forsake our first love. How's your love life today? Are you still in love with Jesus? Amen. In the New Testament, 
We're constantly warned not to grow cold, not to become lukewarm, not to serve idols, not to fall asleep spiritually. You remember Jesus talking about the parable of the ten virgins there. Some had fallen asleep, some had no oil in their lamps. They had grown indifferent towards the Messiah, towards the Savior, towards the bridegroom. And then when he came, they weren't ready. In the book of Revelation, we see Jesus speaking to the churches. Now think about this. Six of the seven churches are told to repent. They're warned not to grow lukewarm. They're warned not to leave their first love. I hear brokenness in the Father's heart in this text in Micah. I hear brokenness as he appeals to his people to articulate a valid complaint against them. What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? You see, God has been nothing but good to us. Most of us have known nothing but blessing. We say God bless America. God has blessed America. When will America bless God? My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. In verse 4 through 5 in our text here in Micah, I'm going to give you a, a running summary of the text to show the heart of God. In verses 4 and 5, God lists all the amazing things he'd done for his people. And he says, indeed, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Just to realize that he delivered them from Egypt, it took 10 plagues to deal with the Pharaoh. Yet God did those things. He brought them out of Egypt and he brought them out with compensation. If you read the text, you see that they didn't come out poor, but they came out with the spoils of Egypt. Back pay for the years that the Egyptians had abused them. He said, I ransomed you out of slavery. What a beautiful thing. God saw his people in bondage, yet he comes and he delivers them and he ransoms them and he takes them out of Egypt. Then he said, I gave you leaders that revered me. Look, I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam. You know, it's something that we should count as a blessing when we have those who are our leaders who love God. We need more leaders who love God. Verse 5, he said, I kept you from the bad intentions of your enemies. Look what he says here. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. If you remember this situation in the Old Testament, this wicked king got a prophet and he said to the prophet, I'll pay you to prophesy against Israel that, that they would be destroyed, that they would be harmed. But even though the prophet agreed to take money and prophesy these things, every time he opened his mouth, he couldn't curse Israel. He could only bless them. And no matter how much money he was offered, he couldn't prophesy anything against them except the blessing of God. And God saying to his people, look how I have kept you. Look how I've been good to you. Even though your enemies conspired against you to destroy you, I would not let them curse you because I've blessed you. Wow. That's our testimony today. We are a blessed people, the children of God. Though the wicked conspire against us, they can't touch us because we're covered with the blood of Jesus under a head of his protection. I want to encourage you today, no matter what has happened in these last months, I want to give you a testimony and a praise report that God has been faithful to the church. He's been faithful to Full Gospel Center. He's been faithful to the people of God. He's been faithful to me as a pastor. 
He's kept us. He continues here with the fifth thing. He said, I, I preserved you. Look what he says, from Shedem to Gilgal. What is that? Shedem was the last stop that the children of Israel made before they went into Canaan. So it was the last place that they camped before they went into the promised land. Then what was Gilgal? That was the first place they camped inside the promised land. God says what? I preserved you from Shedem to Gilgal that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. Listen, our journey is not easy. Our path is not easy. We face giants and mountains and obstacles. But God has kept us from when we were outside of his presence brought us in to his presence when we were outside of the promise to when we were inside to the promise some of us walked around in circles for years until the Lord grabbed hold of us and pulled us out of sin brought us out of the darkness and brought us into the light he's been good hallelujah verse 6 and 7 show the futility of trying to please God through sacrifice and through works he says, with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Look what Micah is articulating here. He's showing the futility of approaching God with sacrificial works. He talks about burnt offerings and yearling calves, thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. What he's pointing out to us here is that the sacrificial system, not for God, God didn't need any of these things. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was for man, so that man's sin could be temporarily covered so that he could approach a holy God. Animals were offered to cover sin, and they were a temporary covering so that the people could approach God. But God didn't need the flesh of dead animals. God wasn't in heaven thinking, I wish somebody would give me a good steak. God wasn't in heaven saying, you know, I could really use a whole bunch of rivers of oil. Uh, even in verse 7, it, it applies here. God didn't want a human sacrifice. He says, what, shall I give the fruit of my body for the rebellion of my sin? So God's saying, I, I didn't want any of these things. These things are for you. But what God really wanted was to have fellowship with his people. What God really wanted was to be known and to have us know him. And God still wants the same thing. God doesn't want our sacrifices. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. God doesn't want uh, the, the things that we can give him and the works that we can do to try and impress him. What God wants is us. What God wants is us. He wants fellowship with us. Listen, if you and I are not every day going into his presence and praying and worshiping him and sitting with his word and allowing the word to renew our minds, if you and I are not ourselves to him daily, we are missing out on the very thing that God wants. He wants relationship with his people. Verse 8 spells out exactly what's required of us. God tells us what is good. Many times we come to God and it's almost like, God, what do you want from me? And here it is. Verse 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Listen, 
but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God tells us what's good, and what's good is that we do justice, we love kindness, and we walk humbly with our God. Now, by God's grace, I'm going to cover one of those three this week. And the one I'm going to cover is to do justice. God tells us that we are first to do justice, then love kindness, then walk humbly before him. God requires his children not just to be just, but to do justice. In fact, say that with me. Do justice. The desire for justice is something we're hearing a lot about now, and rightfully so. It's important for us to understand how God feels about justice and how God feels about injustice. Let me get right down to it and say this. God is a just God. Justice is one of the divine attributes of our God. There is no injustice in him. He is just, and he is the fountain of all justice. So God is just. And he hates injustice. And he hates injustice for this reason. Because it directly contradicts who he is. Injustice has nothing to do with God. Fallen man has always trafficked in injustice. And he uses injustice for his own personal gain. Proverbs 20, 23 describes perfectly how God feels about injustice. He says this in Proverbs 20, 23. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. Now, God uses this imagery of a false scale and of differing weights, and we're going to talk about that. But he says what? It's an abomination to me. In that day and in these days still, those who bought and sold would use false weights to load the scales in their favor. And to cheat out others out of what was just. When they weighed something, they had one set of scales for themselves and another set of scales, another set of weights for everyone else. You see, the, the unjust scale becomes a symbolism of, of injustice. And God says he hates it. It's an abomination to him. When you have one set of judgment for yourself and another set of judgment for everyone else, the hypocrisy of that is a stench in the nostrils of God. Why does God hate the false scales? Not just because of the lying associated with them, not just because of the cheating and the stealing that goes on with them. He hates the false scales because they represent injustice and they stand in the face of who God is. Micah 6.11 says this, God asks a rhetorical question to his people. Shall I count them pure, the wicked balances? Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? God is saying those who traffic in injustice, those who have one standard for themselves and another standard for everyone else, he says, shall I count them pure? And it's a rhetorical question. Absolutely, he will not count them pure because injustice stands in the face of everything that God is. Listen to me. What is prejudiced? Prejudice is a false scale. Prejudice cheats a person out of their individuality and assumes it can accurately judge them solely by their exterior. Prejudice judges the book by its cover, and it's impossible to do. Prejudice is a false scale. What is racism? 
Racism is a false scale. It cheats a person out of their chance to prove themselves by the content of their character and reduces them to a stereotype. Racism is a false scale. What is painting an entire group with one broad brush? It's a false scale. When someone says, all black people, all white people, all police officers, all Christians, they weighed an entire group of individuals with a deceitful scale, and it is abomination to the Lord. God hates the false scale. It's an abomination to him. God hates the false weight. It's an abomination to him. He hates prejudice and racism and painting entire groups with a broad brush. It flies in the face of who he is because it's injustice and he is a just God. Because God is just, he expects his people to be just and to do justice. Notice what the text says, to do justice. The, the text calls us to make an individual response when it says do justice. And I want to say some things. It's not enough for us to admire justice. It's not enough for us to hope for justice. It's not enough for us to preach nice sermons about justice. It's not enough for us to sit back and say, well, I hope the government passes some laws so that it will change people's hearts. That's an exercise in futility. It's not enough for us to just look and say, I wish there was justice. The Bible tells us, the scripture tells us that God requires us to do justice. Individual followers of Jesus Christ must start the wave. They must start to change the, the situation. How? By doing justice in our everyday lives. What will bring about the change when the people of God Repent when the people of God ask for God to heal their land, when the people of God begin to think and act and speak differently, when we actually start to do justice. Now, for those of us who have been doing justice and have done these things for decades, it, it, it's wearisome for us, but we need to get everyone on board in the church. God's people must have unity in doing justice. The Holy Spirit dropped a question in my heart this week as I was studying about how we effectuate change. And this is what dropped into my spirit. We can't control how others think and act, but we can influence and inspire others by the way we think and act. I want to say it one more time. We cannot control others and we cannot control the way people think and act. I don't know how many of us have sat back and cried out to God wanting to change the way people think, wanting to change the way people act and feeling that we have no voice or feeling that it's an impossibility. But the Holy Spirit has shown me if we will do justice, if we will do what God has required of us and what is good, people will see the way we think and act and it will influence and inspire others to change. Amen. Let every follower of Jesus do justice. Let every child of God do justice. And we need to do justice in the way, number one. I want to cover just a few things in closing this message. 
here's what's good. Here's how we do justice. Here's where we need to see justice in our personal lives so that it becomes something that others can see in us and influence and inspire them. Number one, we need to do justice in the way we serve God. Now, you might think that that's weird, but you know what? God doesn't owe us. We owe him. That's a little weak on the amen. You see, we live in a generation that says everybody owes me something. The truth is, God doesn't owe us anything. But we owe him some things in the way that we serve him. In the way we serve God, we should do him justice. We should walk in a manner that is becoming of our call as Christians. We should serve God in truth and in purity. We should remove ourselves from sin. We should have hearts that are pure and filled with the words of God. We should have mouths that speak love and speak truth. In the way we serve God, let us do justice. Let us spend time in his presence every day. Let us be filled with the spirit and walk in the spirit and walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us be the church. Number two, we should do justice in the way we serve God. We should do justice in the way we honor our marital vows. Families, marriages are the centerpiece of our communities. Our marriages have been under attack. We have not honored our marital vows. We have not honored our spouses. As husbands, have we loved our wives as Christ has loved the church? As the ladies, have you submitted to your husbands in a way that proves that you are submitted to Jesus Christ? Have we honored our marital vows? We need to do justice in the way we approach marriage. Too many in our generation are pushing marriage aside giving themselves over to playing house and living together and living in fornication and we need to stop it because it's injustice and it nullifies the power of the people of God number three we need to do justice in the way our children the way we raise our children it's not up to society to raise them it's not up to the village to raise them it's not for the tv to raise them it's up to us to raise them if you have children today, raise them. Fathers, father your children. Mothers, mother your children. Raise them in the fear and the admonition of God. Do justice in the sight of God. He opened the womb and he gave us the gift of them. But we must raise them to know the Lord. In America on the streets today, we see the fruit of fatherless generations. In America on the streets today, we see the fruit of children who were raised outside the church. And it's ugly. And it's concerning. And we need to do justice and make a change. The way we conduct ourselves in business, we need to do justice. If we're employers, the way we treat our employees. If we're employees, the way we serve our employers. There needs to be justice in that realm. Let us push aside greed and self-centeredness. Let us push aside all of these things and serve as if we were serving Christ himself in our jobs. Would we treat our workers with dignity? Seeing them as more than just a, a number or a paycheck, but as people with marriages and families and children. We need to treat our fellow man with justice. We need to drive prejudice and racism far from us. There should not even be a hint of that in the body of Jesus Christ. 
We need to treat our fellow man with dignity, realizing that all of us were made in the image of God and that all of us have the potential, no matter how far off or lost a person is, they are not outside the reach of God Almighty. So each one of them is a potential candidate for the kingdom of God, and we need to treat people as such. Jesus died for people. He died for the lost. We need to treat our fellow man with dignity and with justice. And listen, I close with this. We need to do justice in the way we honor our elderly and the unborn. Amen. As I've been seeking God, and I know you've been seeking God about all the tumultuous things that are going on around us, all the ugliness of sin that's happening around us, I couldn't help but feel the Holy Spirit whisper to me that in many ways we have reaped what we've sown. America cannot spill the blood of unborn babies in the millions and not have that blood cry from the soil for justice from Almighty God. We need to turn the tide on abortion. We cannot say that our God, we don't respect life as a culture. Why? Because we've embraced abortion as a culture. We cannot cancel the harvest of reaping what we've sown until we turn the tide of abortion. We need to pray about it. We need to get involved. We need to intercede. And we need to see God do something in the hearts of people because the way we treat our elderly and the way we treat our unborn brings a judgment upon us that cannot be reversed until we reverse what we've sown. Please hear me today. Please hear me today. And you say, I know you say, as I say, Pastor, of course, we, we don't want these things. We prayed against these things. We, I, I understand. I'm with you. I feel it. But listen, unless we change, and when I say we, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the nations. Unless we change what we've sown, the harvest of what we reap will never change. And so we need some deep changes in our hearts, in the hearts of our nation, in the hearts of those who have pushed God out of every facet of our culture and wonder why it looks like hell on earth at moments. God, help us to do justice, to realize all of us have a part to play and to do our part. Father, we understand that the world is not going to be changed by a hashtag or by a Facebook post or by some little witty argument that we have with someone, but the world will be changed when the people of God get on their knees and pray in the secret place to have changes in their hearts and that we get up from that place and we begin to do justice everywhere we go, that we begin to do justice so that we can inspire others to realize there's a different way, there's a better way, there's God's way. There's light instead of darkness. There's freedom instead of bondage. There's Jesus instead of lostness. Hallelujah. Next week, God willing, we're going to cover loving kindness and walking humbly before our God. But I want you to think and I want you to pray and I want you to meditate all this week on what it means for us to do justice. What it means for you to do justice and allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and the words of our mouth, to allow the eyes of our understanding to see truth in the midst of all the lies 
and then to begin to make changes in ourselves so that we can inspire others to know the God who changed our hearts. Let's give him a hand clap of praise today. Hallelujah. Amen. I encourage you to spend some time in Micah chapter 6. We're going to take an offering now. The ushers have got that set up. They're going to handle all that. I want to encourage you uh, to stay faithful, stay in the word, stay on fgcweb.org. Bring friends, bring hurting people, bring people who need the love of God. Services like this. Uh, very soon, we're going to be able to start our Wednesday night services again. We have enough room in our sanctuary to uh, meet our social distancing requirements. So keep an ear out for that when we open. Uh, but the church is not a building, and I know you know that. And we had church today. So as you give, be thankful for the provision of God. Then wait for the blessing, and then come and wave and say hello to us as you go. Enjoy your day. God bless you.